0: He's going to give an update but before he does I want to just I just wanted to pose a very important question and uh, if you can answer this very important question you may you may be the owner of this wonderful t-shirt so uh, so let me ask you if if, uh, if you know this answer you need to stand up and the uh, first one up that has the right answer will receive this wonderful t-shirt uh, we need to know uh, tonight what is the what local New testament church is sponsoring what is the name of the local new testament church that is sponsoring and facilitating the passion center in Malawi does it, if you know the name other than mark trotter stand up now oh come on now no that's the pastor this may be a dud wah, wah, wah. Randy's got it. What is it, Randy? Amen. That's right. Give Randy some love. There you go, Randy. Praise God. Man, Randy's get the double blessing, but man, he deserves it. Randy, come on up and give us an update, brother.
1: (laughs) I only stood up because I could pronounce it. Uh, Okay, so... How many of you were here last night you remember that we had a a few boxes up here there was 1326 if I remember right so we uh we extend expended what's the right word we extended it by a hundred percent there's 1,000 or 10,000 I can't even talk 10,098 New Testaments in the boxes So we're, we're 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 still a little under half. We got a lot of work to do. I'll talk about that at the end of the service. Give instructions, but but I want to give glory to God, because uh, as you knew yesterday evening, we were having problems with our our tremor back over here, um, and it was giving us all kinds of fits, and we couldn't figure it out, and every head we scratched it didn't make a difference, uh, but you know the calls of the saints went up to the heaven, and God answered. Uh, so there's actually. And I don't want to um, mess anything up, but there were there were some problems that are still in the machine that wouldn't let, that wouldn't wouldn't let it work last night or yesterday. But God's God, you know, God has control over an inanimate object as much as He does a human soul, and so we don't want to forget that kind of thing. We I mean. It was all prayer. It is nothing that we did. There's nothing that we could think of. Nothing that we could, nobody that we talked to. Hey, can you help us? We got this problem. This is what it's doing. This is what is happening. None of that made a difference, but your prayers. So don't ever think that prayers don't matter. Or when we ask you to pray for a tremor, or pray for my car or pray for whatever. I mean, God is in everything. And there is nothing that has been made that God cannot touch. And so I, I just want to praise God, and I think we all should praise God, and uh, you know, on this kind of thing. And just please, whatever you do, don't forget prayer matters and prayer works. Um, but I'll give some instruction on what we need to do because we have to pray right now uh, that the work gets done, and and because we got a lot of work to do in the next twenty twenty four hours or so. So let's pray right now and just thank the Lord for what He has done and how He has shown Himself mighty to us. I mean, we have evidence. Right in, our, in the very presence of this room, we have evidence of what God can do by just trusting him. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for just revealing yourself to us. Uh, you are a great God, and you are a holy God. You are a righteous God, but you are also a God that hears the cries of his children, and you do respond in miraculous ways many times. Ways sometimes that are so miraculous that we can't even give you the credit, but We should. And we do tonight, Lord, we give you the the credit for doing what you do, which is to protect your word, to ensure that your word goes forth boldly. All we have to do, Lord, is present ourselves to serve you and you will prove to us beyond any doubt that you are a real God and and a, a God that does move mountains and machines and people and hearts. And you change things by simply just just doing who you are, just speaking your word and things change. And we just do know, the Lord, is just to trust that in every aspect of our life. And I pray that we all do that going forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark.
2: I haven't had to do that this week, have I? I'm so sorry, uh, especially for those of you that are in other places, because, man, what I just laid out was really cool. <laughs> Amen? Amen? You could see it really wasn't by that half. <laughs> but, but anyway, we're, we're touching the lives of a lot. Yeah, I can even hear me now. We're touching the lives of a lot of people. Again, I think a minimum of a hundred thousand. And do you realize that the the whole population of Malawi is only nineteen million? I mean, so wow! When you talk about how this is impacting a country, man, this is this is. I, I just want you to know this is a big, hairy deal that we're doing this week. All right, you have your notes for tonight. Are you ready to roll? Okay, so as we continue down the, the road talking about the, the mission th- this week, I want to just say right from the get-go that if, if there was one thing that I would hope to have left you with this week, It's the fact, and I think this is where we'll start in your notes, that God has given us a destiny to fulfill in world missions. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody couch it quite that way. I mean, it's not that it's so eloquent, but I I, I would love for you to actually leave here tonight with that thought ingrained in your mind that God has something that he wants you to do in terms of his mission. And please, listen, y'all. By that, I do not mean that he wants all of us to cross a body of salt water in the name of Jesus for the cause of missions. Now, there may be some folks that are listening to this in this room tonight or the other rooms around the facilities or in some place in our country. And it may well be that God's destiny for you is for you to cross a body of salt water. But I just want to make sure that you understand that that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. What I'm trying to get you to see is that he has something that he wants you to do. He has given to each of us, and this is in your notes, it'll come pretty quick, I don't want to frustrate you, but he's given all of us a personal assignment when it comes to missions. All of us individually have a unique role when it comes to missions. There is a specific something that God wants you and God wants me to accomplish when it comes to his mission in our generation. And listen, whatever it is that God has for me, only I can do that. Whatever he has for you, only you can do that. It's a role that is tailor-made for us and only we can fulfill our particular role. And listen, y'all, I believe with everything in me, that at our face-to-face encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, at his judgment seat, which I believe is going to be in the very near future, I believe the judgment seat is going to reveal to all of us the role that we could have had and that we should have had. But listen, when we get to the judgment seat, it'll be too late to do anything about it then. And that's why I want to talk to you about this tonight. This is all in preparation for our ultimate accounting at the judgment seat of Christ. When it comes to what did you do with the word of God that I entrusted to you? What did you do with the spirit of God that I entrusted to you? What did you do with the great commission that was entrusted to you? In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, this is a pretty familiar verse. Sometimes I feel like when it comes to familiar verses that we think we know them, but because we think we know them, we never really hear them. You know what I'm saying? And Paul says, not as though I had already attained Either we're already perfect. And I love this about the apostle Paul. He says, listen, I don't think that I've arrived. He recognized that we're all a work in progress. Okay. But, Paul goes on to say, I follow after. In other words, I live my life in constant pursuit if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Do you know what he's actually saying here? Paul Paul's saying, I, I want to live my life so that I'm living it in constant pursuit of, listen now, of taking into my possession the purpose that Christ had when he took me into his possession. In, in other words, I, I, I know that I have been apprehended by the Lord Jesus Christ. I got apprehended on Sunday night, okay? Or or Saturday night, yeah. Okay, I I was apprehended. They took me into their control. I'm like this, okay? And and Paul is saying, "I, I know that I've been apprehended by the Lord Jesus Christ so that I can fulfill his purposes And what he's saying in this verse is I'm not going to let anything distract me or deter me from me apprehending those purposes. Can you hear that? He apprehended me for his purpose. And now I'm going to apprehend that purpose for his glory. And so could I ask you tonight, have you ever come to the place of resolve in your life that Paul is talking about here in verse 12? I, I, what I'm asking you is, are, do you feel like you're living in constant and passionate pursuit of discovering and fulfilling that unique something that personal destiny that he had in mind when he apprehended you out of Satan's snare. And, and that's all I, I really want you to see as we're getting started tonight is this Philippians 3:12 thing. And are we at that place of resolve? And, and as we as we get. Rolling here tonight. What I want you to see is that there is a threefold cord that binds our purposes to the purposes of God. Are, are you familiar with that little verse in Ecclesiastes chapter four and verse twelve? What it says is a threefold cord is not easily broken. You know, if you have a piece of one piece of thread. It's not really real strong. And if you have two, it's stronger. But what he says is a threefold cord. You 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 start binding three of those together, and you're going to have to have a little bit of power, even with thread, mind you, to break that thing. And I want you to see tonight as we get started, there's a threefold cord that binds our purposes to the purposes of God. Okay, now these three things, they could be a message in themselves, but what I want to do is just hit this quickly, I use it as a springboard for what I want to really get to tonight. But this is so key that you see this, because if if we're going to apprehend that purpose that God has for us in his mission, I think it's going to take these three things. And the first key word that I want you to see is the word passion. Passion. And do understand that when I'm talking about passion, I'm not talking about being enthusiastic. Uh, I'm not talking about being driven. What I'm talking about is a passion that we have for God. And, and here's the thing, y'all. This, this passion for God that I'm talking about, Do you understand that that isn't something you work up? It isn't something you drum up. Listen, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior tonight, and again, you wouldn't be here on a Tuesday night, mind you, if, if you didn't know Christ. But I want you to understand that if you know Christ, this passion for God is simply something that needs to be Released because it's in you. Get it in your notes this way we we must release the true passion of our new heart. And listen, that is a passion for God Himself, it's what God planted in our hearts that came part and parcel with our salvation. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 to, to 28, this is a passage that is actually talking about the nation of Israel and, uh, and God doing something different than he was doing with them in the Old Testament. But it does have application for those of us that are living under the new covenant because that's basically what he is describing here. And, and watch what he says happened to us When we got saved, y'all. I love this. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. We call him the Holy Spirit. And I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh. In other words, what he's talking about in our lost condition, we had a heart of stone. And that heart was hard it was cold it was unresponsive he says you know what I'll do in your salvation is I'll give you a heart transplant and I'll take that stony cold hard unresponsive heart out of you and I'll give you a heart of flesh That's warm and responsive to God. And it beats for God. I'll give you a new heart. And I'll put my spirit within you. And I'll cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people. And I'll be your God. And what I'm trying to say to you tonight is listen, we've got the Spirit of God inside of us. And He gave us a new heart. And that heart beats for God, and it responds to the Word of God. And that heart is passionate. For God, but what happens is sometimes that new heart gets submerged beneath all kinds of passions on the inside of us that are competing for their way, and, and this is why I'm saying to you that the key is simply releasing the power of God's life in us, I mean, a simple way, maybe a practical way for us to get what I'm talking about in our head, it's very simply Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. We're talking about being filled with the Spirit. It's Galatians 5, 16. It's walking in the Spirit. Okay, so first of all, if if our purposes are going to get bound to the purposes of God, it begins with passion, a passion. For God. And when we have that passion for God, y'all, it leads to a second thing. And it's a word that we might could call co-passion. Co-passion. And what I mean by that is this is a passion that we share with God. It's a passion we share with God. When we have First of all, a passion for God. His passion will become our passion. And do you know what it is that God is passionate about, y'all? He's passionate about his son receiving glory. He's passionate for the glory of his son. You know through this salvation that I was just talking about, where we got that new heart and that new spirit within us, what happened to us, y'all, is we found ourselves in the big fat middle of the greatest love story in the history of the universe. And the love story that I'm talking about is not first and foremost about God's love for us. I don't want to diminish that for anything. But listen, it's not really first and foremost about God's love for us. We found ourselves in the midst of a love story between a loving father and his son. And do you know what the the book of Ephesians chapter 1 actually teaches us y'all? That before the foundation of the world, God looked through the corridors of time that had not yet even been created and he wanted to find a love gift for his son. And when he looked into time that had not yet been created, he saw this crazy thing, church, the bride of Christ. And he said, that's going to be my love gift to to my son. And and I'm going to do for those people what I won't do for any other people in any other period of time. Because when they call on my son's name, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give them a new heart. And I'm going to give them a new spirit. And I'm going to give them a new position. And they will be holy and without blame and constantly before me in love. Listen, that Ephesians 1, 4, don't let anybody ever tell you that God was choosing who would be saved and who wouldn't be saved before the foundation of the world. He was choosing a love gift for his son. And it was the church. The bride and body of Christ. And and you know what's so crazy about this thing, y'all? Is this love gift that the father gives to his son when he raptures us and we go to be with him and we, we experience the marriage supper of the lamb, hallelujah. You know what the son does with the love gift? 1 Corinthians 15, 24 says that he takes that love gift and he gives it back to the father as his love gift. Y'all, we get passed around between the Father and the Son as this glorious love gift. But what I'm trying to get you to see, y'all, is when we get passionate for God, something happens. And we get passionate for what He's passionate about. And He's passionate about His Son. When we get passionate about God, we get passionate for his son to receive the glory that is due his name. And so you know what we do? We start praying for the kingdom to come. That time when Christ is gonna establish that kingdom and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and all the earth shall worship him. And sing unto his name. They shall sing unto his name. Psalm 64 verse 6. And the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Wait, what do you mean the waters cover the sea? The waters are the sea. and The sea is the waters. Yeah, that's how intertwined it's going to be. The kingdom of God in us, in a literal, physical kingdom on the earth. Just part of it. And that's where all of history, that's where all of the Bible is actually moving and pointing. So when I have a passion for God himself, what automatically happens is I begin to share in the passion for the glory of his his son, And and then there's the next thing. And again, this is not something that we work up. It's a result of those first two things. The third chord in this threefold chord that binds us to the purposes of God is compassion. Compassion. Again, it begins with passion, a passion that I have for God. It continues with co-passion, a passion that I share with God. And then comes compassion, a passion that God gives me. And the point of this is this. When God's passion becomes our passion, we will be filled with compassion. And it's a passion for people. It's a passion for people. And we'll see that in Matthew chapter nine, and verse thirty-six. But but listen, when we when we have a passion for God and we share in a passion for His Son, the natural result of that is compassion for people. You know, people ask all the time, "Man, I I, I I struggle with being motivated." And I struggle with caring about people. What, what, Pastor, what can I do? This is, this is harsh. Get interested in God. That's it. Release that new heart. and Get a passion for him because as soon as you do, you're going to have a passion for his son and a kingdom that he's building right now, the kingdom of God that's going to translate into the kingdom of heaven on the earth where he will rule and reign. And when you care about that, you care about the worshipers that are going to be a part of that incredible kingdom. But what does it look like, y'all? for us to actually get to the place to where we have compassion. What does that actually, what does it look like in in real life? And this is in your notes. First of all, we will hear voices that we've never heard before. Now, now I gotta tell you, y'all, in our world, if you hear voices... You are normal. And that's what I'm talking about. Coming to the place to where we're no longer normal. We hear voices we've never heard before. People with compassion, y'all. They hear things that other people don't hear. When you have biblical compassion, first of all, like Isaiah in the heavenly holy of holies, listen, we will hear the Father cry out from above us, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Let let me ask you, my brother and sister, have you ever heard where you actually personalized it, where he's saying to you, whom shall I send? Who will go? You know why people don't go in the 21st century? Nobody hears his voice. But when we have biblical compassion, not only will we hear the voice of the Father above us, but like Paul with the Macedonians, we will hear the lost multitudes cry from around us, come over and help us. You know why people don't go in the 21st century? Nobody hears the people the lost people on this planet saying, hey, would you come over and would you help us? And not only do we hear the voice of the Father above us and the lost multitudes around us, but like Lazarus, we will hear the damned souls cry out. From below us. Do you remember what the rich man in hell said? No, don't fill your sheet in just yet. L- Lazarus heard him cry out, Send Lazarus to my brethren lest they come into this place of torment. And what I want you to put on your sheet, sheet instead of Lazarus, I want you to write your name right in there. Send Mark. Send Sherry, send Brian, send Amy, send Randy, send Julie, send Del, send Serene. Listen, when we hear the voice of the Father above us saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? When we hear the lost multitudes around us saying, hey, would you come over and help us? When we hear the damned souls below us, send Mark to my brethren lest they come into this awful place. Listen, I I assure you, when you're hearing those voices, you will be filled with compassion. But there's a second Thing that happens, not only will you hear voices you've never heard before, but number two, we'll feel emotions we've never felt before. Oh, Pastor, don't you know this is a Baptist church? We don't, we don't talk about emotions. We'll feel emotions we've never felt before. Uh, again, it, it starts when we've entered into co-passion. And because we're sharing in the passion of the Father, we join in with David in Psalm 69 in verse 9 where we say, The zeal of thine house has eaten me up. And the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. You know, I'm 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 gonna be heading back this weekend and my partner in ministry's dad just died and I'm gonna be doing that funeral and I can tell you already how I'm gonna start it. I'm gonna look at that family and I'm gonna say, guys, I am so sorry. And I want to remind you of Hebrews chapter four. God is touched with the feeling of your infirmities. God feels what you feel. And do you know how often we get comforted by that? You know what I'm talking about, y'all? David said, God, I feel like I'm getting eat up from the inside because I feel what you feel. Where are the people in the 21st century, y'all, that feels what God feels? You know what? We, we can get to the place, y'all, to where we create this little life that we were talking about last night in our little fair garden where, as long as everything is going along in my life, then I don't really give a rip what's going on in the world. Us four and no more, we, man, we're doing just fine. You know why David was the man after God's own heart? Because the reproaches of them that reproached God fell on him, just like they fell on God. And he felt what God felt. And because of that in Psalm 119, he says in verse 53, horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. It freaks me out of my mind. Where are the people in the 21st century that horror hath taken hold on them because of what happens to God on a daily basis? In verse 158, he says, I beheld the transgressors. And just went on my merry way because, well, that didn't really affect me. So I beheld the transgressors and I was grieved, God, because they didn't keep your law. In verse 139, he says, my zeal hath consumed me. What happened, Dave? Because mine enemies have forgotten thy words In verse 136, would you listen to how emotional he is? Rivers of waters run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. Do you know what he's talking about? Not just, you know, uh, shed a little tear every time that song gets sung. He's talking about so in love. With God, that he feels what God feels, and he's talking rivers of water. He's talking about uncontrollable crying, and yes, y'all, it's something we feel. It gets up in our emotions, and let me tell you, when it when we get emotional because of God's glory and the eternal destiny of people, I do want you to know that biblically we're in good company because you know what Hebrews 5, 7 says of Christ? Listen, it says, who in the days of his flesh, in other words, when he was here on the earth, just like we are in these earthly tabernacles. Ever seen this verse, man? He offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears. You know what, y'all, in a world like ours with billions and billions of people who don't know Christ, billions and billions of people who never heard the two words Jesus Christ, we would have to ask ourselves, is it normal to be so emotionally under control? We're worried about being abnormal because of what we feel. Maybe the real abnormal see in this thing is that we don't feel anything. In Matthew nine, thirty six that we just referenced a few minutes ago, it says, But when Jesus saw the multitudes, listen to this, he was moved with compassion. On them, I, th- I think Hebrews five seven that we just looked at lets us get an idea of what it meant for him to be moved, strong crying and tears. In, in, listen, in the days of Noah, in Genesis chapter six verses five and six, it says this. L- listen, y'all. And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And may I remind you that what Jesus said is that if you want to know what it's going to be like at the time of my second coming, it's going to be a whole lot like the days of Noah. Listen, a great definition of our time is the wickedness of man is great in the earth and every imagination of man's heart is only evil continually and i want you to notice god's response at the end of verse 6 and it grieved god at his heart and listen i'm just i'm just saying when we're moved with compassion, y'all, we will have the same response to the world around us that God has. And we'll hear voices that we've never heard and we will feel emotions that we have never felt. And number three, we will see the world that we live in like we've never seen it before. And we will see the desperation of the lost like we 've never seen it before I, again matthew nine and, and verse thirty six talking about Jesus being moved with compassion, would you look at at verse thirty six again i don 't I don't know if, if it 's there uh, cool, but when jesus what saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion on them, and of course, the question is what did he see I, I mean was he moved because he, he saw a big old group of people now verse thirty six goes on to say he he saw that they fainted, not physically spiritually. And he saw that they were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. And listen, y'all, that's what happens when, when you have compassion. You don't just see people anymore. You see people who are lost. And you see the desperation of their lostness. And there's something else we'll see when we're actually moved with compassion. And it's something that, uh, wow, we never talk about this. And if we do, we just kind of brush it off. But when we're moved with compassion, y'all, we will see the consumption of American Christianity like we've never seen it before. And man, I hope you'll open your heart as we talk about this. And if you want, you can take your Bible. This is where we're gonna be for the remainder of the time. I don't want it to sound like I'm five minutes from closing. Okay, we're gonna look at a passage here. I don't wanna get your hopes up, y'all. But I do, if you want to look, I, the verses are going to be on the screen. That, that's, you know, so that, uh, I'm not going to be offended if you don't want to look. But in Second Kings, uh, there is this, this crazy little story that I, man, I would love for God to just take this passage to our hearts before we leave here tonight and before this conference ends this week. In chapter 6 of the book of 2 Kings, in verse 24, you'll you you'll notice in this verse that King Ben-Hadad, the pagan king of Syria, he's moved his troops into northern Israel, and they've surrounded the capital city of Samaria. Okay, did you get that? Okay, the opposing side, King, king Ben-Hadad, from the... The king of Syria has moved his troops into northern Israel. They've surrounded the city of Samaria. And verse 24 says, and it came to pass after this, that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. So they've besieged the city. And listen, what they're actually doing here is they're waiting for the city to run out of food. So eventually, they'll just fall into their hands. So, so here are the Jews. They're trapped inside the city walls with no way to go out to find food. And, and as we're laying down these details, grab it because this the story gets pretty intense. Okay, so they've surrounded the city, and before long, obviously, starvation sets into the city. And verse twenty-five says, "And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold." They besieged it, that's the Syrians, until an ass's head was sold for four pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung, mind you, for five pieces of silver. So as you can see, listen, y'all, this is no minor little, you know, I'm a little hungry, babe. No, they are starving, and the starvation is intense. I mean, how much meat can you get off a donkey's head? And eating dove's poop for crying out loud, and paying a pretty penny to do it. Wait, do you see this, verse 26? And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help my Lord, O oh king. And he said, Baby, if the Lord do not help thee, whence shall I help thee? In other words, listen, girl, this is a whole lot bigger than government. The government ain't gonna be able to fix your situation and the only hope you have is for God to step in. He says, how do you think I'm gonna help you? He says, out of the barn floor or out of the wine press? And the king said unto her, okay, he he's telling her that, but he, he said, okay, so what's your problem? I mean, what, what's going on? What aileth thee? And she answered, this woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we'll eat my son tomorrow. That's what I'm saying. Donkey's head? Dove's poop? That's nothing. We're talking about eating their kids. Verse 29, so we boiled my son and did eat him. And, And I said unto her on the next day, give thy son that we may eat him. She's on a guilt trip, man. She ain't hungry. She's on a guilt trip. And she hath hid her son, verse 30, and it came to pass when the king heard these words of the woman that he rent his clothes and he passed by upon the wall and the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. And the king goes through uh, at least some semblance of grief, some semblance of repentance but in verse 31 and following he you know what he does he blames it on the prophet elisha and he threatens to kill him and when we come into chapter 7 and verse 1 elisha prophesies that the situation would be changing drastically and that that drastic change would happen on the very next day wow Again, this thing's pretty intense, and Elisha is saying, Hey, be over tomorrow. Verse 1 says, Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time, shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. And of course, what he's actually prophesying is that everything's going to be back to normal. Within 24 hours, the financial markets are all going to be back in place and the gates of the city are going to be open again. And, and it was so unthinkable and seemingly impossible. One of the king's men says to Elisha in verse 2, Dude, you've got to be out of your mind. I mean, God himself would have to just open the windows of heaven to change this situation that drastically and that quickly. And then watch what happens in verses 3 and 4. And there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate. And they said one to another. Now, this is before it's changed. Why sit we here until we die? Okay, and you understand that at this period of time, lepers were put outside of the city walls. Okay, so they're out there and they're going, what in the world are we doing, man? Why sit here until we die? If we say we'll enter into the city, then the famine's in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, all we're going to do is what we're going to do anyway. Because we're dying, man. And again, I think most of us understand that uh, they Outcast of society. It's a leprosy in the Bible is a picture of sin. And the Bible's trying to let us know that there's no cure for this this thing. And, and so these, these four lepers have been banished from the city and they're hanging out by the gates of the city. And they finally come to their senses about this situation and they say to each other, man. What in the stinking world are we doing? We have a disease for which there is no cure. And so the disease is going to kill us in just a matter of time. So why in the world are we going to allow ourselves to starve to death? And so they say to each other, listen, why don't we just go ahead and surrender to the Syrians? Because for crying out loud, I mean, what's the worst thing they can do? It's it's kill us, and dude, we're dying anyway. And who knows, they they may take us as prisoners, and even prisoners get a little bit to eat. Verse 5 says, and they arose up in the twilight. They're going to act on their plan to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. In the entire camp. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear. A noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the king of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they, and that's the Syrians, arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. Okay, so can you imagine this? I mean, here are these four lepers hoping beyond hope that when they come into the Syrian camp, they'll be taken as prisoners. And when they come into the camp, lo and behold, there isn't a single person in the entire place. And of course, it was because God had caused them to hear what sounded like this ferocious army that was coming toward them. And every last one of them got out of there fearing for their lives just as fast as they possibly could. And verse 8 says, And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent. And, buddy, there's on the rotisserie a rack of ribs, man, and it's just... And here, man, they got all the sweet tea that they could drink right there. They did eat and drink and carried thence the silver and the gold and the raiment and went and hid it. And after they hid it, let's go back and get some more. And they get in there and they get to the tent and they carried thence also and went and hid it. I mean, man. Can you imagine? They're thinking, woo, this is awesome, man. How awesome is this? And they're eating all this wonderful food. I mean, just absolutely feasting. And they're taking all of these spoils, the the gold and the silver and the fine clothes. When all of a sudden, something happened. Verse 9 says, Then they, that's the four lepers, said one to another, We do not well. This is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. In other words, man. We're bogarting all this stuff, man. And we're keeping our mouths shut about all this wonderfulness. In the midst of all of this, you know, taking the treasures, all of a sudden, while they're stuffing their faces and just gorging themselves, all of a sudden they come to themselves and say, Wait, while wow, we're doing. brothers and sisters, are starving. They don't even know that God has provided a way of escape. They're they're clueless about this incredible reality and and they're still in there eating their own children while we're over here stuffing our faces and gorging ourselves and they look at each other and go... they finally come to their senses about what they're actually doing and they say, this has got to stop. We got to do something. And look what they say to each other in the rest of verse nine. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. In other words, we can't wait any longer to get the word out. If we do, God's not going to be pleased with us and and some mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household, this is a day of good tidings. The word gospel in the New Testament, Do you know what that word is? It's good news. We've got good news. And we hold our peace. We're keeping it to ourselves. And listen, y'all. Every single person in, in this room or that's listening on a Tuesday night can go back to a point in time not too long ago when When we were starving spiritually, we were dying of the dreaded disease of sin. And the Bible says we were helpless and we were hopeless. And in the midst of our famine, you know what happened? God had somebody that brought good tidings to us. The gospel came to us and it fed our famished souls and we were healed of the leprosy of sin. And I'm not trying to put anybody on a guilt trip. I'm just trying to be real about American Christianity. What happens to many people after a famine is they get so busy feasting and so busy hiding the treasures that we've found that we forget that people are still starving. And because those people are starving, they make incredibly bad decisions for themselves that further ruin their lives. And while they're doing that, we become spiritual face stuffers. And we can get content sitting week after week and month after month and year after year and decade after decade gorging ourselves rather than going and telling the king's household Okay, so if you want a quick rundown of how verse 9 applies to us, I've already mentioned the good tidings is the gospel, the good news. The morning light that he's talking about here, do you understand that is the theme of the Bible? It's the day, hallelujah, it is the day Of the Lord, when the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Righteousness, rises on this planet. And if we don't get the message to the people before then, God will hold us accountable for that. Some mischief will come upon us at the judgment seat of Christ. Because we've been commissioned, as the end of verse 9 says, to go. the king's household. It's what Jesus talked about in the parable of the great supper in Luke chapter 14, verse 23, when when the Lord said unto the servant, Go, man! Go! Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house might be filled. And again, y'all, I I promise you, I, I'm not at all trying to put us on a guilt trip, but I, I, I do think in light of this passage in the Bible that obviously is painting a picture for us, I think we've got to come to the place you know, where we ask ourselves, how much... More spiritual food can we stuff into our spiritual faces before it is spiritual gluttony and spiritual bulimia before it becomes obscene? I mean, how many how much more spiritual protein and, and nutrients can we assimilate? without most of what we're taking into ourselves rotting in our stomachs or getting flushed down our spiritual toilets. You know why bodybuilders eat so many times a day? Because your body can only assimilate so much protein at any given time. And your body just has a way of getting rid of what it ain't using. I mean, how many, more, how many more spiritual feedings can we sit down to before we think outside of the four walls of our spiritual tent to the people around us who are starving spiritually? Listen, I'm not talking about Guatemala tonight. I'm talking about Garden City and Gun City. I'm not talking about Peru tonight. I'm talking about peculiar. I'm not talking about Lake Malawi. I'm talking about Lake Annette. I'm not talking about Bolivia. I'm talking about Belton. I'm talking about people within driving distance of this church, people that we live near and people that we, we work with, again, people who are starving, making decisions. They're not eating their kids, but I will tell you, they, because they're starving spiritually, they are making all kinds of decisions that affect their kids. People who have no idea that we sit in here Week after week, enjoying a spiritual feast that has been prepared for us and they have no idea that God's word can actually provide for them what their souls are starving for. How many more spiritual blessings can we store in our spiritual containers before we wake up, before an alarm sounds in our soul, before we say, whoa, 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 this ain't right. Before we actually admit we do. Listen, y'all. God didn't bless us so we could be containers of his blessing. He blessed us to be a blessing. Rather than becoming containers of his blessing, he intended for us to be conduits of the blessing to others and channels of blessing to the people of the world. And so, I appeal to you, my brothers and sisters. When will we be like the lepers in this story and and come to our spiritual senses and ask what has happened to me? How have I become so self absorbed and self seeking and self consumed and and, and short sighted that i don 't care about spiritually starving? People And where we started in this message tonight is I was trying to say to all of us that God has a destiny for all of us to fulfill when it comes to world missions. There, there's something, y'all, that he wants me to do. And only I can do that. But there's something. That God wants you to do. That has to do with getting the mission accomplished. It has to do with getting spiritual food to spiritually starving people. That are making horrendous decisions with their life. At the bottom of your notes... (laughs) J. Wilbur Chapman was an American evangelist in the early 1900s. He was in London to hear General William Booth speak. and So he listens and then following the service, Chapman comes up to General Booth and he asks him, how did all of this happen? How does one man accomplish so much for the kingdom of God? And Chapman writes, he hesitated for a second. And I saw the tears come into his eyes and steal down his cheeks. And then he said, I'll tell you the secret. you Listen, God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I men with greater opportunities but the day i got the poor of the world in my heart and a vision of what jesus christ could do with the poor i made up my mind that god would have all of william booth there was and if there's any if there's anything of power in the salvation army today and it used to be a thing it is because god has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. And so as we conclude tonight and just before Pastor Brian comes, what I want to ask you tonight is, first of all, does, does God have all there is of you? Can you honestly Say that tonight? Have you ever said that to God? I get it, God. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I get it. So you have all there is. Of me. And will you lay before him tonight, as Booth said, all the adoration of your heart, all the power of your will, all the influence of your life? And Lord, as Pastor Brian comes, I I pray, Lord, that Your Word will do in the hearts of people what You intend for it to do. I pray You'll remove any of the human element from this, but Lord, I I, I pray that this will be a, a night of surrender for all of us.
0: heads bowed and eyes closed as we consider what's being said in our hearts, just take a moment and reflect. Does God have all there is of you? Will you lay before him today all adoration of your heart, all power of your will, all the influence of your life? And be honest. What are you hanging on to? What are you? What are we? What am I hanging on to? Would you let go today? Would you let God have all that is His? Are we gorging? You think it's too good? Or are we going? People are making bad decisions, sacrificing their own kids, addicted, not to ministry, but to sin. Heavenly Father, we've heard a a word from you tonight, and uh, Lord, I hesitate to move forward without your permission. Lord, I've been in many meetings, in many years, and, and I have heard your voice, and sometimes I respond and sometimes I don't. And Lord, forgive me for when I don't. And thank you for giving us all one more opportunity to hear you knock and open the door and allow you to do what you do in our lives. as to call us to go. Not necessarily just over the ocean, but across the street, across the aisle, across the cubicle, across the parking lot. Heavenly Father, I pray tonight that, uh, Lord, you would work in people's hearts. There's perhaps people in this room and listening online or in in the other overflow areas in this building that right now, Lord, you're working in a young man or a young woman's heart and you're calling them. Lord, they may not fully grasp what that entails other than they know, as Pastor Mark put very succinctly, there is a feeling associated with your feelings for how you feel about getting the gospel where it needs to go on time. We can't wait till tomorrow. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that you would instill in us an urgency of the hour lord if we could peel back time and see how close we are to a coming period of sorrow and tribulation that is unlike any the world has ever seen and we would understand the the weight and eternal weight and glory of the message in which you've given us the great grace of the living god within our own bodies within our own lips within our own spheres of influence the abilities that you've given us Oh my God, thank you so much for the grace of God. May we not hoard it. May we not gorge upon it. May we give it freely as it's been given to us. Oh, Heavenly Father, forgive us for being Laodicean. Even though we don't want to be, Lord, we know that we are. Because our heart's not your heart. Lord, I pray, God, you would create in us a new heart. Lord, that our heart would be tender, that it would be uh, contrite. Lord, we know you will not refuse the contrite heart. Heavenly Father, I pray for these that are here tonight, Lord, that you would move as only you can, Lord, not just through an altar call or a decision or a raised hand, but Lord, in a change of life, Lord, I pray, Heavenly Father, that this message would change our lives, would change our churches, would change our, our not just our outlook or our mind, but Lord, truly our hearts would be modified, that we would be drawn closer and be willing to feel what you feel. For those who are hurting and need help in a time of need. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your servant. Thank you for the message that we've heard. Thank you for the moment that we've had as you've spoken to us. And now, Lord, may we go. May we go and do what you've called us to do. For your kingdom's sake, for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Man, that was a sober word. I, I appreciate that, brother. And uh, for those of you that are listening, I didn't do an altar call it's Tuesday night at a conference. We know what we're here to do, but just as I'm as before I hand